What the heck is hand management? My name's Jonathan, and this is the Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about games as they'd like to know. This week, we're going to look at a very simple element that shows up in a lot of games, but very few people have even heard of it. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast. Joining me this week are David Kingsmill. Hello. And Scott Moyle. Good afternoon. So let's get some terminology clear first. Hand management refers to managing a hand of cards or tiles or other things. Cards show up in a lot of games, including board games like Risk and Clue and Catan, and obviously they're kind of a big deal in card games too. But not all games with cards involve hand management. So here's what it comes down to. If you have a choice about which cards you're going to play, which cards you're going to save for later, and which cards you're going to throw away, you are doing hand management. Mm -hmm. So, David Scott, do you ever actually think of hand management as an actual thing, or does it just sort of happen in games? I think for me, barring games where sort of it is the game, I, I think hand management is is not a mechanic I think about a lot. It's it's a means to an end, mm. right? Pandemic needs to stick you with a seven-card hand size limit so that you do one disease at a time um, as an individual player, or um, Jaipur needs to stick you with a... Uh, a a hand size limit because otherwise you could clean out a stack of, of sale tokens in one massive turn and just get an insurmountable lead going. Um, I, I tend to think of it as just a restriction that, that makes the rest of the game balance itself. I do think about it a little more. Um, I don't know if that's just because I have a very analytical brain when it comes to games, uh, possibly the podcasting, because I obviously have to think about what a game is made up of when I'm actually putting one of my podcasts out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something I'm a little more aware of. I think it also might be because I do like it as a mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of games uh, that I enjoy playing uh, that use hand management. Uh, and so I think I'm I'm sort of quite aware of it for that reason as well. I think it could be said that it's more interesting if you have to make a choice about what to do with your cards than if you just play them automatically. Like um, having having to decide what to do with this or that or the other card adds a layer of potential interest to a game beyond just simply okay, this is what I have, this is what it does. Mm-hmm. Well, after Cacao came out, I played Carcassonne at one point in time with a three tile hand, right? And the game became so much better. A lot of people have done that with Carcassonne. The fact that uh, usually what to do is just draw a tile and you'll place it. Having a hand of three tiles to pick from every turn, you play one and you draw one. Adding that little bit of hand management really does change the game. And the same thing happens yeah. even in really basic games like Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Give everybody a three-card three, three card hand in Sorry, and suddenly it really kind of elevates the design, makes it more involved, more interesting. I'm just finding ways of locking it in in some way and, and sort of playing with the hand manager. I'm designing a game at the moment that uses a form of hand management that kind of sets you up for future turns. Um, and it's, it's, it's fun playing with because there's so many ways of messing with how somebody has to think about how they use a, a, an asset that they have. Mm-hmm. So there are three major things that you could do with the card in this type of scenario. You could play it now, you could save it for later, or you could throw it away. Um, questions of when to play a card now, it's, 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 it's not that obvious. I mean, there, sometimes there's like a really good card that you have and sure you want to play it, but if you're playing something like Cosmic Encounter or Lord of the Rings The Confrontation, You've got some cards that are just flat out better than others. Mm-hmm. But it's not, that doesn't necessarily mean you want to play your best card right away. Yeah. Right, choosing your moment. And the question, the question of deciding when to lose sort of come in there. Uh, saving cards for later, you mentioned Pandemic earlier. Mm-hmm. That question, I mean, the fact that you can only hold seven cards, you need to have five of them the same yeah. to discover a cure, that's huge. And, uh, and, and, and the fact that those event cards, which are really powerful, 
those still take up space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, playing as the researcher and getting all the event cards is is such yep. painful torture. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And uh, and then throwing cards away completely, you get something like Summoner Wars, where some of your cards are just going to be fuel for playing other cards and mm-hmm. deciding, okay, this isn't important enough right now. I'm just going to toss it because at the start of my next turn, I'm going to draw back to five again. San Juan does something cool with that, the, the card game version of Puerto Rico, right. where um, you you use your cards. Cards are everything in that game. Cards are resources. Cards are buildings. Cards are the money you pay for buildings with. Cards are they've made the one card thing do everything. It's really cool. Um, but the most expensive buildings in the game uh, cost one less card than your hand contains, meaning you build that by dumping everything else, and there's no way around it. It forces you to go all in. I think that's really great. Making that a big play. making That's that's another thing hand management can do, is it creates periods of rising and falling tension mm-hmm. and rising and falling action, where this is a big play, and then after this, you can't do much for a while. Yeah, there's another talking about tossing cards. There's a game I came across recently, which I'm really enjoying. Can't beat it. It's a nightmare. Uh, called Hostage Negotiator, which is a solitaire game uh, where you're a police hostage negotiator trying to talk an abductor out of killing a load of hostages. And if all you're doing is you're using cards to buy more cards to make his temper decrease and hopefully get some hostages out. And every card has a necessary benefit. And when you play a card, you roll you roll dice, and there's three sides that are blank, two sides that are successes, and one side that has an image of two cards on it. And you can make that a success by throwing two of the cards out of your hand. Oh, nice. But you need them to do the next thing you were going to do. And the, <laughs> it's torture trying to decide whether or not you want to do that. It's such a smart bit of design. Okay, all this might sound fairly complicated to someone who's new to the game thing. It's like, oh, this this, this sounds like a lot. But the fact is, hand management starts pretty early in, uh, in your development as a game player. Something like, for example, Uno mm-hmm. has a lot of hand management going on in there that people might not even realize they're doing. Mm-hmm. You guys have played Uno, of course. Yeah. It's been a while, but yes. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. Like, also crazy eights. Mm-hmm. Dutch blitz. Yeah. And questions of when to skip somebody, when to make somebody draw two, when to hold on to that draw two so yeah. you can multiply another one, when to use your wilds. Um, Rummy Coop as well, I think. Oh, massively. Massive implement of that. And people play that long before they even realize gaming is a thing. Mm-hmm. Same with Uno, I think. So it might, in a way, be a really great mechanic to get people, uh, with which to get people thinking about mechanics in that... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't teach you a worker placement game without just hard landing the basic nuts and bolts of what a worker placement mechanic is, but you already know hand management. It's it's a, a game mechanic and a, 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 an element of game design that the average human has learned without having to think about it. That might be a really useful teaching tool. That invisibility of it, yeah. that sort of ubiquity of it, makes it something that tends to be popular, I think, with sort of introductory level games. Something mm. like Lost Cities, for example. Yeah, oh, oh, Lost Cities. Uh, and that game just is hand management uh, with a really neat discard pile that the other person can steal from if they need to, or you can take stuff back from. Do you use Lost Cities a lot in introducing people to card games? I really enjoy Lost Cities. If people uh, and if, if people at the cafe are looking for a good two-player card game, um, and I, I find that a bit of a weird question because I can, I can understand why you'd want to play, for example, a, a press-your-luck game mm-hmm. or a competitive or a cooperative game, but card isn't actually, like, that doesn't, it's not really a genre. It doesn't really evoke anything. Probably. Cards are it's it's like saying I want a game that comes in a box versus a bag. Like right. sure, there are both of those, <laughs> but I, I don't know what that tells you about what's inside. Very true. Um and I've had people look at Hive and go, Oh, it's in a bag and I want to play it. 
What? Sure. I, yep. Actual thing that's that happened. happens. Yep. That's, but when people okay. want a card game and can't articulate what they want mechanically, um, Lost Cities is so accessible because it's just sort of weird two-person solitaire with a pasted-on theme that you don't have to worry about too much, but everybody understands how adventuring works. Huh. Um, and the mechanics are really clear. Can you just sort of fill us in, uh, our, our, our audience who haven't played Lost Cities? Oh, Lost Cities. So you have a hand of eight cards. There are five suits numbered from uh, two to ten, each representing a different uh, place where you might go on a cool adventure. Each suit also has three multiplier cards. Um, you, uh, When you discard cards, you discard them into color-coded discard piles, when you draw cards, you either take them blind off the top of the deck, or you take the top card off of any one of those color-coded discard piles. So, so every time you throw something away, that's something the other player could just help themselves to. Yep. Or sometimes you can use the discard piles as your own storage, right? <laughs> I just don't need this now. I might need it later. I'll go get it if I need it. Um, and when you play cards, they go into your stack of that color. So each person has a stack of each color. Um, they have to go in ascending order because, as I explain it when I teach it, each higher number represents going further into the adventure, and cool adventurers never, ever backtrack. Um, so you can play the two and then the four, but then the three is garbage to you. You can play as many multipliers as, uh, as you like before you get any numbers down, and then you do a bit of math at the end that essentially boils down to you need at least 20 points worth of cards in a stack to make it break even, and if it doesn't break even, having played more multipliers will punish you harder. Yeah. Um, it's it's very simple to learn once it's on the table. It's very attractive uh, visually, mm-hmm. and uh, and it just is hand management. That's like, that's what its do only I do, thing. What do I do with this card? Mm-hmm. This this red six. Okay, I could put it out now, which means I'm never going to be able to play a red two, three, four, five. But it's worth six points. And it's great. You know all the risks going... Uh, each each choice is clear in terms of what the risks and, and rewards of that choice potentially are. You're never going to get hung up on, what might this do? All you have to sort of chew on is, do I want what this might do? Reminds me a little bit of uh, another two-player Rhino Canizia card game, the one that tends to be my go-to for that uh, sort of niche, is uh, Battle Line. And mm. uh, that's when we've got a line of nine flags laid up between the two players, and you take turns playing cards face up next to these flags, basically to make little three-card poker hands. Mm. And the red two is really, really good if you put it with a red three and a red four. Not so good if you put it with a yellow seven and a green six. Right. But your um, poker hand just needs to beat the poker hand on the other side exactly. of that flag, so it can be kind of mediocre. And, right. and, it might, and that might be enough. So you're not only managing your own cards, trying to decide what goes best with what to make the best hands, but also to make them just strong enough to beat mm. what's on the opposite side of that flag and no stronger because you don't want to waste any of that energy if possible. I haven't actually played Battle Line yet, but I've heard a lot of good things about that. Me neither. Um, I, uh, my, my go-to, too, is Jaipur. Oh, yeah. Um, for that, um, I think it's... Anyone says two-player card game to me and I go straight over and pick that up. It's It's... One of those games where you've got just enough messing with your opponent for people who are not big enough into the hobby yet to want to completely annihilate their friend. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's it's so much based around what you choose to do. You do get that sense sometimes that because you chose not to buy the sell that thing, you've now lost the, the points for it because the opponent sold it instead. Uh, and I think people get a big kick out of that. That question of whether to sell big or to sell fast yeah. is, is absolutely a hand management decision. I've only got two of these silk cards. I could use them both now and do okay, or I can try and get more of these and maybe not get as big a price at first, but I get a big bonus for dropping a bunch of them at once. And the fact that you can only hold seven of them? Yeah. 
you know, arranging to make that big play takes a lot of time, but it can be a huge payoff when it does. Hand management is sneaky, too. It shows up in all kinds of games that people don't realize they've been playing already. I mean, take Ticket to Ride, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's a game that so many people have enjoyed. I bet you most of them have no idea what hand management is, and yet they've been doing it Absolutely. all this time. Although without a hand-sized limit, it's, it's a pretty soft landing into hand management. It's, but that's good. You know, yeah, it absolutely. It people quickly no, to the idea that... Absolutely, but it's, just, it's a very gentle application mm-hmm. of that it's, mu- it's much more the, the logic of building a hand and deciding when that hand is ready to go, rather than actually having the compression factor that you get from a lot of the other games. And when something's worth it to use your wild cards, yeah. or whether you just try to get more of the blue or whatever it is that you need uh, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Same deal as uh, Jaipur, right? Score now or score big. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, games like Catan, for example, I mean, that, that's that been a huge gateway for a lot of people. But holy crap, it's all hand management, except for the negotiation, which all leads into the hand management. Mm-hmm. Well, and hand management with a really neat version of that compression thing where you, there's no hand size limit except the game slaps you on the wrist like unpredictably <laughs> for for getting greedy and hoarding. I I really like. I think that's my favorite bit of Catan is that hand limit thing. Yeah, that's it's that that isn't again another sort of fairly soft one, but mm-hmm. boy does it ever sting. Oh, it stings when it uh, when it does bite you like that. Sadly, five six player Catan, which nobody should ever play. which no one should ever play. But I get asked to teach constantly, loses that, and for for me that kicks all the tension out of the game. Um, when you can build every turn, you're never going over seven cards if you're paying attention. Yeah, if you ever wonder why the game gurus of snakes and lattes tell you not to place uh, Catan with five or six players. It's not just that it takes way too long and wears out its welcome. It's also that that, just like Scott says, that building around every turn takes away the most tense part of it. It's yeah. also that Bonanza exists if there are five or six of you and you want to ruin your friendships with trading. Yeah. It's yeah. just a better game for it is, that. Absolutely. And speaking of hand management, Bonanza does that in a very unique yeah, very, way. Yeah, Bonanza's your hand is a treadmill feeding you cards. fascinating <laughs> from that point of view. The first time I played that, it blew my mind. Is there another because... card game in existence where you're not allowed to rearrange the order of the cards in your hand? I can't think of one. I can't either. Uh, well, t- Hanabi, where you might not want to. But, yeah, but actually, but you ruling, the ruling is that you can't. You can't. Yeah, I can't think of anything I, that does I, that. How long ago did that say, game come out? It's been a long time. It's unique it's like that 10 way. plus years. Yeah. I can find that. But I, I, I'm sure that, you know what? I'm thinking, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking there is one game where you can't recycle the cards, but I'll be damned if I can remember what it is. <laughs> I might just be making that up. But yeah, Bonanza is an utterly extraordinary game. Just to, to clarify for um, the listeners who don't know the game, when you draw cards, you draw them into the back of your hand and you are forced at the beginning of every turn to play the card that is at the front, whether you want it or not. And it's all about planting beans in sets. And if you have two sets of beans already and the card in the front of your hand is not one of those, you have to rip up a set of beans whether or not you are ready to do it. And it's just, it's... It's brutal to everybody else, but it's also brutal to you. <laughs> it's it's a very rare game where it's you can absolutely just box yourself into a corner. And yet that brutality winds up, in some cases, having a very gentle, very friendly sort of feel to yeah. it. Because that card that you don't want, you are incentivized to give it away for free. You can free. see it coming. Yeah. In a negotiation game, Bonanza actually in- gives you an incentive to give things away, to be nice. Yeah. Except it's got that subtle cutthroat undercurrent to it. Because <laughs> the players realize, boy, you're awfully keen to get rid of that green bean, Jonathan. That's, uh. 
Yeah, and if someone's being particularly brutal, they might not take it just because they know it's going to bite. Uh, Bonanza was 1997, so it is 19 years old oh, right now. Wow. Wow. Okay. That is How insane. has that not been taken up? Talk about a lost game mechanic. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. But, um, and even something like uh, Love Letter, which has been uh, working really well as a sort of an entry-level game for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, your hand is only one card, but... Well, two cards. Well... Two cards when you're making the decision. Right. And the question of what to play and what to keep can get really thorny in that one, too, mm-hmm. even though it's just those two choices. Or more interestingly, when you have no choice and you have to take a moment to pretend like you do. Yeah, if, <laughs> right? if I've got princess. princess on my starting draw, there goes the choices I'm making for the game. Um, and so it becomes this little song and dance of, look <laughs> at me weighing my options like a human. <laughs> like it's, it's a very weird spin on bluffing at the table. Yeah. And I think that the other one that has to come up with hand management for unusual rules is Hanabi. Uh, which oh, I've already yeah. mentioned. I mean, the whole thing with Hanabi is you're managing a hand and you have no idea what's in it until somebody you're holding tells the cards you. facing the other way. Yeah. yeah everyone else is you, trying to help you manage your hand. Yeah. You, again, for the benefit of anyone that doesn't know it, you're the only player at the table who does not know what's in your hand because it's facing away from you. And you find yourself with this really weird shaped hand of cards as you kind of slot cards around different ways to remind yourself that this one was blue and these two were threes and whatever else it might be. <laughs> it's yeah. a wonderful, wonderful game. Very, very peculiar style of hand management. That'll do it for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this little bit of discussion of a little-known but much-appreciated game mechanic. If you've got a topic you'd like to hear about on the show, tweet it to us at SnakesCast or post it on the Snakes Latte's Facebook page. Scott, David, thanks for joining me. Thank you, sir. Bye for now. SnakesCast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. Opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it, not the company behind it. Thank you for listening, everyone. Game on. Game on.